You know exactly what to do, but you don't know why you're not doing it. You tell yourself things like, it doesn't matter. I'll start tomorrow. I'll never lose weight. I'm just broken. My body is fighting me. I should be able to eat whatever I want and be skinny like everyone else. Why does it have to be so hard? Where is my motivation? Where is my commitment to myself? Why am I so good at showing up for everyone but myself? Dear God, I've been there and all of my clients have been there. But here's the good news. These are all beliefs. I know exactly how much pain these beliefs create and you don't have to go one more day in that pain. Beliefs can be changed. I can show you how. You can actually enjoy your weight loss journey with a self-care mindset. You can break out of self-punishment, restriction, and self-sabotage through rewiring your beliefs about food, weight, and body image. I would love to work with you one-on-one as your coach. So check out my coaching options at theketofit.com. But I know not everyone can do or wants to do one-on-one coaching. So I've created a self-coaching option for you. In the Self-Care Keto Guided Mindset Masterclass, you will discover your unique form of motivation and learn how to celebrate and work in sync with it. Reframe and release your past attempts at weight loss so you can move forward with freedom and alignment. Dig deep to reveal your self-sabotaging beliefs surrounding your food, weight, and body image. Learn to develop self-awareness, self-compassion, and ultimately rewire your brain with beliefs that serve you and set you free. Learn how to reduce your emotional eating and meet the real needs that lay beneath the surface, and so much more. Visit theketofit.com slash mindset to start your self-care weight loss journey today. Be right back after a quick health tip. One of the biggest challenges that comes along with eating keto or low carb is getting enough electrolytes. How do you know if you're getting enough? Well, if you have any symptoms like headaches, feeling lethargic, lack of energy, hitting a wall when you exercise, feeling lightheaded or dizzy when you stand up, leg cramps, or constipation, these are all signs of an electrolyte imbalance, and you'd benefit from adding a quality electrolyte supplement. Maybe you're thinking you're good because you don't have any of those. I hear ya. I had been adapted to keto for so long that even though I wasn't having any of those symptoms, I was actually so amazed at how drinking electrolytes every day impacted my mood and gave me more energy that I didn't even know I was missing. Literally every cellular process in your body and brain runs off of electrolytes, and they play a huge role, especially on your stress hormones, which explains the positive impact on mood. My absolute favorite brand is Element because just one serving is 1,000 milligrams of sodium plus the right balance of potassium and magnesium. You'd have to drink about three to four bottles of Smart Water or Powerade Zero to get that same portion size, so it's absolutely worth the price. It's also so convenient to have the serving sticks in your purse or your pocket or while you're traveling, and then you can just mix it with water wherever you are. It's made with completely clean ingredients and uses stevia as a sweetener. While I don't always love stevia, I promise it has zero aftertaste and the taste is honestly so delicious. My favorite flavor hands down is the orange, and it truly tastes like real orange, not like tang. If you miss orange juice on keto, you'll love drinking one of these every morning like I do. I also love the raspberry flavor and I like to drink it on its own or mix it with unsweetened iced tea. And I love the citrus flavor too, which tastes exactly like yellow Gatorade. If you grew up drinking that like I did and you loved it, you know exactly what I mean. If you go to drinklmnt.com, you can get a sample pack for free and just cover the shipping for $5. That way you can decide what your favorite flavor is. 
Then when you're ready to buy a full box, I'd love it if you'd use my referral link because I get a free box when you buy a box using my link. Just go to bit.ly slash the KetoFit Salt to order your next box. You're going to love it and feel so much better. Hi, Jess. Welcome to the show. Hey, Dr. Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited for you to talk about um, the work that you do and your personal journey. Um, as someone who has been reflecting back on the past, I'd say, seven, eight, nine years as to my own healing journey and realizing that it all started with health and wellness, but specifically nutrition, mm-hmm. um, and that I actually did not realize up until recently how important that, that piece was years ago. Um, I'm excited to have you speak um, as someone who has been going through a healing journey, but you're really focused your work on kind of lifestyle and diet. So can you just tell the audience a little bit about who you are and kind of how you've made the foray into like the health and wellness industry? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I really resonate with what you're saying because for me, nutrition has also been a huge part of my healing journey. And so uh, my name is Jess. And I am a certified life coach and I'm a weight loss coach. I eat keto as a form of self-care and I help women lose weight and transform their health with a keto diet and a self-care mindset. So I work exclusively with women because I do believe that women face a unique mindset journey surrounding food, weight, and body image. And I love to um, really dig into that and dig into some of the beliefs that keep us stuck in a cycle of self-sabotage. So um, how I came to keto or low carb was way back in 2013, and I had recently gone through um, a traumatic experience and then a period of depression and anxiety and just dealing with that, and I packed on about 40 pounds in the course of a year. So I found myself in a place of self-hatred, shame, really hiding out from my life and feeling desperate. Um, I had struggled with my weight my whole life. Um, specifically as a child, I definitely was an overweight child and received a lot of negative messaging and conditioning surrounding that. And even though I got to a healthy weight, once I hit puberty, um, I still continued to always see myself as an overweight person. So I definitely struggled with body dysmorphia and disordered eating throughout most of my teenage years and my adult life. And so because that was already there in the background, and now here I am actually facing a real problem with being overweight, um, I was ready to do anything. And so I actually approached low carb or Atkins at the time as a quick fix, just like fab thing. I didn't care if it was healthy or unhealthy or whatever. I didn't even know anything about it. All I knew was I used to see my mom go on Atkins to drop five pounds as fast as possible. And so I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And it was November 8th, 2013. It was like three weeks before Thanksgiving. So I was really only thinking it was just going to be a couple of weeks and then have a good old Thanksgiving. So within about two weeks, um, everything changed for me. I had no idea that I was going to feel so good. Um, So I did lose some weight, probably about seven or eight pounds, and I was shocked at that. So that was motivating and kept me going. But more than that, I really realized there's something different here. Like my mindset completely shifted. For the first time, I felt food freedom. And when I say food freedom, I mean, previously, like I was stuck thinking about food, probably 75% of my thoughts every day were consumed by food, counting calories, being afraid to eat around other people, looking up menus ahead of time, like truly just 
an obsession um, every single day. And so I was finally free from that. I finally felt satisfied with the foods that I was eating, having no idea that it was actually nutrient density. I didn't know. I just thought it was like magical, <laughs> but really looking back on it, I'm like, whoa, for the first time I was actually eating foods that were satisfying to me instead of just tortilla chips, you know, all day long or whatever low fat food I was trying to, you know, condense calories with. So the nutrient density, and then also just achieving a state of ketosis completely changed um, like the fuel source of my body and of my brain. And so no wonder I was feeling so different. Um, I didn't, I wasn't able to put words to it at the time. All I really knew is that I felt so amazingly different that I wanted to keep eating this way forever, even once I reached my goal weight. And sure enough, that is what I did. Over time, I learned so much more about the science behind why this was actually making me feel so good and why it was so effective. And that just fueled my passion for it even more. Um, and equipped with the passion for it and the knowledge behind it, I knew that I wanted to share it with other women and become a keto coach. Okay. So can you dive in and tell us, um, a little bit about keto and what it is. And, and I honestly don't know that much, so I'm interested in learning, but it's definitely the keto diet has been a buzz phrase for quite some time. And I know a number of friends who've been on it and I've honestly have no idea what it means. Yeah, definitely. So ketosis is a metabolic state. So your body has the ability to be in one of two different metabolic states, either running on glucose for fuel, which in other words is sugar or carbohydrates. And um, it doesn't matter if those carbohydrates are from sugars or starches, the body interprets it the exact same way. So you're running on glucose for your primary fuel source or in the absence of carbohydrates. So if you restrict carbohydrates, then your body is actually able to switch off to a backup fuel source, which is running on fat for fuel. So we are evolutionarily adapted to be able to do this as a survival mechanism. Think about the bears that eat all summer long and then hibernate all winter long. What's happening is that they actually switch over into a state of ketosis. They're running on their own stored body fat for fuel. And as humans, we have the ability to do that as well in periods of famine, maybe we're having to hunt for our food and it's been a couple of days, well, we can switch over into this backup fuel source of running on our stored body fat for fuel. And some of the benefits that come along with that is suppressed appetite, which makes a lot of sense. You don't want to be like thinking about how hungry you are. You want to have the energy in order to go, you know, hunt or forage or do whatever. Um, also, it gives you great mental clarity and focus um, because it just changes the fuel source of your brain. Again, this makes sense. We need to be able to find another, you know, hopefully a fuel source soon. So it basically mimics fasting when you restrict carbohydrates, but you can be eating dietary fat as your main fuel source instead of dietary carbohydrates as your main fuel source. And you're still keeping yourself in that fat burning mode. And you're also tapping into your stored body fat for fuel when you're in a caloric deficit. So you're, but the thing about it is you're not counting calories. You're not even thinking about it. You're just naturally eating less because you're so satisfied with the protein and fat that you're eating and your appetite is naturally suppressed from ketosis. So that's why it's such an effective and easy and enjoyable way to lose weight. So what does a typical diet or meal look like when you are kind of going down the keto path? Yeah, typically, as long as you're not like a vegetarian or vegan, you would be eating animal protein, low carb vegetables, and some form of either animal or plant fat. So, um, you know, butter, oil, um, full fat dairy, nut butters, avocado, olives, things like that would be like your fat sources. 
It's really interesting because you can take the dairy piece, right? So they, when I went on my healing journey around the same time, actually, I think like between 2011, 2013, a lot of us went through some major shifts. Yeah. Um, and I know healing my body in different ways was really what the past like eight years has been about. I just didn't know it at the yeah. time. Um, but I went on a like wellness retreat because I was so burnt out. I was like beyond burnt out from a bunch of stuff that happened. And they put me on a macrobiotic macrobiotic diet and which was great for detoxing all the sugar out of my system because I like definitely coped by eating a lot of ice cream um and I like definitely was coping by eating a lot of sugar like probably throughout my entire first 30 years of my life so so from a like detox perspective that diet was amazing but I was always so hungry on that diet that they had to adjust like the rules for me to have more protein yeah. um, because I was just burning, burning through things and they didn't really understand why, um, but I wasn't there for, you know, a major medical thing. I was there for a stress detox. So they were able to accommodate that, but they were always talking to me about, for me, the importance of protein and then also the importance of healthy fats. Yeah. And that's something that has stuck with me. And, and now everyone is going very vegan and I have toyed with that. And I always go back. I always feel better when I drink whole milk in mm -hmm. my matcha or in my coffee. Like I actually mm -hmm. need something in milk yeah. that gets taken away when I replace it with oat milk, which sometimes I will do oat milk, but I try to eat intuitively. So mm -hmm. given what's going on in the world where there's a big push for people to try being vegan versus eating in this way, like what, what kind of experience do you have with coaching your clients? And what do you say when people are like, I should just be vegan at this point? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't like to demonize any diet or way of eating. I fully believe in exploring what makes you feel best. So I actually used to be a vegetarian for five years. And for two of those years, I was a vegan. Now, I will say that at the time, I did not have the nutrition education that I do now. I definitely um, did not do my due diligence to uh, research the nutrition aspect of being a vegetarian and a vegan. I did it from like an ethical or like compassion for animals type of um, reasoning at the time. So for me, I did not do it in a healthy way. Like my only thing was just like, I don't care what I'm eating as long as it's not animal based. Um, so I was eating very high carbohydrate. I probably was not, I definitely wasn't supplementing. Um, so all in all, I fully believe that you can eat a very healthy vegan or vegetarian diet, as long as you do it intentionally with the knowledge that you need. So everybody has a minimum daily requirement for protein. Protein is the building blocks of your cells, amino acids, um, you know, basically help all of our cells to function. And so protein is absolutely fundamental and you can definitely get it from um, plant sources instead of animal sources, but it's not as bioavailable um, or as easily absorbed as it is from animal, um, animal protein. So that doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means that you have to be more intentional, realizing that you have to eat even more protein from plant sources. And there's some, you know, we could get into the nitty gritty of like, sometimes you need to pair it with certain things, um, certain plants or certain, you know, uh, carbohydrates in order to make it most absorbable to the body. And you should probably supplement as well. 
all in all, I would say eating a whole foods diet as opposed to a highly processed standard American diet is great. As long as you're focusing on whole foods um, and trying to get your protein needs met for the day, you're doing so much better than most of the country and most of the world. So yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. Um, why do you think our diets suck so much in the United States in comparison to other places in the world? Oh my goodness. Well, this is obviously opinion. Uh, <laughs> but well, factually, we know that our government does not enforce the same food um, quality guidelines as other countries do. And, you know, I don't like to be a conspiracy theorist or anything, but reality is, um, you know, there's money to be made on, on the way that we eat. And there's money to be made on not treating medical issues primarily through nutrition and instead through the pharmaceutical industry. So there's always different agendas that are operating behind the scenes. And so I believe that's probably one of the biggest things that are that's happening. Um, aside from that, like the powers that be do have, you know, reasons why they're not educating the public on these reasons. Also, the public, we're responsible to um, educate ourselves. So we definitely need to, we don't want to be disempowered and just say, oh, I'm being led astray. It's, you know, somebody else's fault. But um, we don't tend to be encouraged to look for that either. Right. Um, we don't tend to be encouraged by our doctors to treat with nutrition. When we go through our own education system growing up, it's not highly emphasized. And if it is, it's the standard American diet. So yeah, we don't have a, a good knowledge base of what it means to eat healthy. No, I mean, I remember being a teenager with anxiety yeah. and having like a whole bunch of like major stuff going on. And I think I probably would have been able to calm down more if I was eating more protein. Like I just, I actually, I was eating chocolate chip cookies for lunch. Like I like just, you know, for like getting like a fillet, like my like parents were always very good with dinner. Like we had to had, you know, um, a full dinner. Um, but we certainly did not eat enough during during the day. And um, I think that that would probably would have made a like huge, huge difference if I was getting, yeah. you know, just more um like whole foods in the morning and then at lunch and and you know I was a really I was a go-getter kind of child so if someone had educated me yeah kind of way I might have made some of those choices on my own yeah like it really like looking back zero education in the nutrition department we maybe in school heard about like water and the importance of drinking enough water but mm -hmm. Other than that, there's been like, there's like zero education for young people. Yeah, same. And the only education that I ever had as a child was the messaging that I received from my mom or aunts and uncles, like whoever was on a diet, food was just about restriction. Like if you want to eat healthy, count your calories was basically all that I ever really retained from that. So it was never about um, make sure that you get enough protein, make sure that you get enough vitamin, vitamins and nutrients. It was only about don't eat too much was the only messaging that I received. So since you've been on your journey, um, I'm assuming your relationship with food has changed dramatically. Um, do you feel like you've also learned to just like enjoy your food in a way you've never done before? Yeah, definitely. I do. Um, I think that 
when I first approached low carb, I definitely treated it as a diet, right? So I got to follow all these rules. Don't have any, um, you know, cheats. I don't call them that anymore. I would call them deviations now because that's just a nice neutral <laughs> word. Um, but yeah, I was all about just sticking to it religiously, um, dogmatically, you know, I was proselytizing people, everything, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't think that I could have freedom unless I was still following the rules. Like it was like eating within this keto or this low carb bubble was keeping me safe for myself was kind of how I viewed it for a little while. It took some time to actually truly heal my mindsets and to trust myself around food where now I feel like, you know, if I'm going to go out to dinner and I want to have, you know, one of my favorite places is, um, there's a Brazilian steakhouse near us and they have fresh pineapple on the salad bar. Well, normally I wouldn't eat that because that's a high sugar fruit or whatever, but oh my gosh, I enjoy the heck out of that when I'm out to eat and I don't feel bad about it whatsoever. It's wonderful. Um, so yeah, I, I can trust myself to have a deviation and know that I'm just going to go right back to business as usual. And I fully, fully enjoy that consciously. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, you know, it's, well, I'm a Taurus. So one of the things that we're known for is sensuality. And I grew mm -hmm. up in a family that really enjoyed food. Definitely not always the healthiest of diets, but food and um, a glass of wine was something that we were, it was like a very like European like mindset around food. And I'm like, since the pandemic, I've just been see like seeing and hearing a lot of my friends have been focused on getting like really healthy or like getting really in shape and which I support, um, but no one's been having fun with their food. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how to find the balance between um, changing your diet for your health and wellness, but also maintaining some enjoyment in the process. Yeah, okay, that's a great question. Um, honestly, I think it boils down to your personality type. Um, I think that there's, you need to understand how you're motivated and how you're wired and what's going to actually be most enjoyable for you. Because some people might not actually truly enjoy um, switching things up all the time. Uh, they might actually enjoy routine and they might actually enjoy um, keeping a commitment to themselves that they never, ever stray from. And to deviate from that might not actually feel like fun to them at all. Um, it could feel like the opposite. <laughs> it could feel like hell to them. So yes, I think that food is universally enjoyable for everybody. Of course it is. It's designed to be because uh, we probably wouldn't eat it and survive if it didn't obviously taste good and be pleasurable. So I like to take my clients through some self-awareness exercises to learn what type of um, personality they have in their own journey with food to help them understand what's going to help them be most successful long-term and enjoy themselves most long-term. It's interesting that you tie it to personality type because I, I definitely, um, I agree with you that yeah. different personality types are going to have different relationships with food. Um, I think one of the things I appreciate about your post in our first conversation we had was that you view keto as a form of self-care and weight loss in general is supposed to be a form of self-care. Mm -hmm. So can you expand on what you mean um, about kind of the mindset shift that takes place when you start viewing this as self-care versus a diet that you have to do to lose weight? 
Yeah, absolutely. So from a diet culture negative perspective, you would be approaching keto as a way to restrict a certain food group to get the results that you want, which is weight loss and a smaller body. And usually that comes from a place of self-punishment, um, unworthiness, feeling like you need to change yourself first in order to love yourself. And so guaranteed, there's a lot of people approaching keto as a tool for that reason and for that motivation. And of course, there's been times when I've done the same thing, right? Um, definitely, it was the original reason why I approached it. But why I say eating keto as a form of self-care is because I actually, when I experienced it, found it to be something completely different than I had ever experienced before in that my mind felt so much better and my body felt so much better. So at the time, I just didn't understand what it was. But now that I understand the mechanisms behind it, it's that it's truly fueling your body in a very efficient and satiating way. And so that is obviously why you feel so much better in your body and in your brain. So eating healthfully, fueling your body in the best way that you can to fuel your purpose, to live into your full potential, to have everything that you need in order to be the best version of yourself for yourself and for the people that you love is what I mean when I say eating keto is a form of self-care for me. So I like to um, just give an example of when I became a mom and when they send you home from the hospital and you feel that overwhelming weight of responsibility of taking care of another person. I'm responsible for another life. Well, what do you do first? You feed the baby. You make sure the baby has good sleep. You clothe them properly. Keep them at a comfortable temperature. Give them a bath. Meet their physiological needs, essentially, is the basics of where you start out taking care of this other person who you love more than anybody in the entire world. And so it also just stands in a stark comparison to how, as women and as mothers, we don't do that for ourselves. We're yeah. willing to give our children absolutely everything and we neglect ourselves. And so one of the most fundamental ways that we can begin to practice self-care is not through bubble baths or getting our nails done or whatever. I'm not you know, slamming those things. I like to do those things too. But if we start with our nutrition, that is truly the number one form of self-care, in my opinion. I think it's a really beautiful point because it's also usually how we start our day and yeah. kind of like we skip over breakfast and then like we're moving yeah. into like self-care Saturday, like, like going to the gym and doing all those kinds of things. Um, when in reality, self-care starts like the minute that you wake up and you decide whether it's going to be a coffee, tea, matcha, like whatever it is that you normally do for your routine, um, like what kind of day it's going you know, going to be first thing in the morning. So I really love that you um, are helping to remind women that in order for us to be able to care for others, we have to actually self-care our diet and take care yeah. of our body ourselves. Absolutely, because we all know how crappy it feels to feel crappy when you wake up, you know, if you have a hangover or you have a food hangover, you just feel bloated and disgusting. Or even if your body is just sick, like you cannot, um, you know, affirmation your way out of that. You cannot <laughs> bubble bath your way out of that. It, it's impossible. You just feel crappy and you have to wait it out until, you know, the effects of whatever you just put into your body have run out. And we're doing this day after day, after day, after day. And, and we're robbing ourselves of how good we could feel. And, and the full potential that we have. 
And there are some um, breakfast guidelines that you give your clients like about how to start the day. So whenever my clients do choose to eat their first meal of the day, it may not be um, your typical breakfast foods. Let's just say some people like to practice intermittent fasting, um, which is just eating in a time-restricted window. You don't have to do this with keto, but a lot of times there is overlap, um, usually because your appetite becomes so suppressed with keto that you don't feel like eating maybe first thing in the morning. So once you get your body into a state of ketosis, um, it becomes very intuitive. Like you, you're not feeling cravings anymore. You feel true physiological hunger. So whenever that actually sets in and you're going to break your fast or have breakfast, it might not be breakfast foods, but whatever it might be, um, for any meal, I would emphasize protein first. Um, you want to get a minimum of 30 to 45 grams of protein at each meal. Um, that just generates muscle protein synthesis and sends your body the message of like, okay, we're actually getting satiated here. Um, so I would say focus on protein and then um, have a serving of a healthy fat and then fill the rest of your plate for volume with low carb vegetables. If you want to, you don't have to, but if you want to. Mm -hmm. And then I've noticed that we're a little obsessed with coffee. These <laughs> obsessed with coffee. And I, you know, I'm, I will rarely during this time of year, I've learned not given my like just like constitution drinking a lot of caffeine during the summer is like not good for my emotional state yeah. so I actually cut back on coffee pretty significantly and um I've learned to be a little like snobby about yeah. the type of coffee I'm drinking um is coffee as like a major problem for your clients like is these habits causing a lot of like the distress that, mm. that they come to you for Okay, so I'm gonna answer that from two different perspectives. So one is the um, nutritional content of the coffee beverage that you're enjoying. So in other words, what are you putting in your coffee? So <laughs> that can usually be where people are getting hampered because you can have coffee black or you could have coffee with um, chemical laden creamer that comes from the grocery store or you could have you know dairy in it which some people are sensitive to you could be doing unsweetened almond milk you could be putting a sugar-free sweetener in there and then there's a variety of all of those things so um, I encourage my clients you know basically stick to a clean um, sugar-free sweetener if you are going to add sweetener to your coffee avoid all of the chemical processed crap of like, even if it says a sugar-free coffee mate or international delight or whatever, avoid that because it's Franken foods. It's highly inflammatory. Don't add that crap to your coffee. Um, stick with like an unsweetened, um, nut milk or, um, do a full fat dairy, like heavy whipping cream. So I find that a lot of people are hampering themselves with their nutrition goals through what they're actually putting in their coffee. So that's one aspect of it. I think the other aspect that you're kind of um, asking me about is like the caffeine content and what that does to our bodies and our brains. So um, caffeine can actually be really helpful for weight loss um, because it's a natural appetite suppressant. Um, so on the flip side, it's like you have to find your own sweet spot. Some people have a really difficult time metabolizing caffeine, which actually turns out to be genetic. So if you are one of those people, then it's going to impact your sleep negatively, which if you don't get enough sleep, then that's going to spike your um, stress hormone cortisol, which is going to affect the way that you metabolize food and it can hamper your weight loss efforts. So if you find yourself still jittery um, after having caffeine, you know, you might want to cut it off before noon. 
Um, for me personally, I'm actually really good at metabolizing caffeine. I don't have any issues with that, but it affects my mental health. So I was extremely dependent upon caffeine for most of my life. I still, I would still say that I'm dependent upon it because if I withdraw from it, I instantly get a headache and get upset, <laughs> but I've cut back drastically. One thing that I realized for me is that because of some um, trauma that I've been through in my life, I was used to feeling familiar in a fight or flight state. And so I actually thought that I felt good being all amped up on caffeine. I felt unstoppable. I can take on anything. Um, and that actually felt good to me, even though my body was actually shaking, um, you know, feeling that weird pit in your stomach thing, um, feeling like anxiety. It mimics the same feelings of anxiety, but I think I was so used to it that I just kept talking myself out of it. So recently in the last year, um, I've been undergoing um, trauma-focused therapy. And that's been very healing for me. And I was finally ready. I had already admitted it to myself, but I wasn't ready to change. Um, I was finally ready to change. And I did cut back on caffeine this year and it has made a big difference. So I drink half calf now. Um, and you know, maybe some people that's not good. That might not seem like a big deal for me. It feels like a big deal. And that is another form of self-care is drinking half calf for me. Yeah, I mean, when I do have coffee, I like to, like, I'm very specific about like, I prefer to go to an independent coffee shop where I know they take care of the beans or they source the beans somewhere because I've learned that I'm sensitive to the water that gets used. I'm sensitive to like how they process the beans. So if I'm going to go that right, like route, I want to enjoy it and don't want to put crap into my body. Um, but I've like, I've also learned I think I was amped up on coffee probably throughout my 20s in graduate school like we all are uh, it took me a really freaking long time to detox out of that like habit yeah it reflects back as to how much coffee that I used to drink and now it might be a couple times a week and um I do like during this time of year I'll do more matcha tea but um it was coffee with all that crap that you said not to put Yeah. And I was wondering why I was so anxious. Yeah. There's, I, you know, and it, there was not one therapist that ever asked me, like, mm -hmm. what is your coffee intake? I think we're getting better. Yeah. That now, like, I asked my clients now about what they're eating. Mm -hmm. Everyone says my diet's healthy. So you have to ask specific questions, but it's often not. Um, but now I ask because we have so much anxiety in the world, yeah. I ask okay, are, like, are you a coffee drinker? And if so, how much are you drinking? And like, what kind of coffee? Because yeah. if it's a European client, they're having like five espressos a day and wondering like, why they can't like, you know, stop talking. Yeah. Um, so I think it's interesting that, you know, um, the crossover that is starting to happen in the psychology world where we have to start asking these health and wellness questions yeah. because the symptoms mimic a trauma yeah. action. That's so true. And it's so great that you're asking those questions because I think one of the biggest um, issues that we have with mental health and really with everything is where we're attributing the behaviors coming from. We tend to always think that it's coming from just like inside of ourselves or we're broken or it's a character issue or something like that, as opposed to an environmental issue. And what we put into our bodies is our environment. You know, we're literally influencing 
our biology and, and our brains and everything through what we're putting into our body, the same way that a drug would change our personality and behavior, things like caffeine and sugar can do the same. And, you know, and the other like thought that I had while you were talking is I think when I was in Italy in 2019, I took a, cook, a cooking class and I have to say that my body responds better to eating whatever it is in Italy to the point that you made because Europe um, has stricter rules around like what kind of food everyone can eat. Mm. Um, but I took a cooking class by this like, very charming Italian man. Um, and it was a pasta making class and it's probably the best thing I've ever done. Not because I learned to make pasta, which I will probably never be able to repeat again unless I'm in someone's grandma's kitchen. Um, mm -hmm. But because he very much spoke about the importance of the energy that gets put into the food and how that from that particular culture, there's so much love that goes into making the food. And when he like he was talking about like his grandma and like just like the whole process of making food, I started having epiphanies about how many times do we grab something and are not conscious about what it is that we're putting in our body because we're eating at our desk? Um, or like, how many times are we just really angry and pissed off and making our dinner at home and then to feel crappy like afterwards? Um, and start really realizing like emotional energy probably goes into our food and then we're putting that into our body. And it's like, we get into this like vicious, vicious cycle. So when you're coaching clients and there's this crossover between the food and kind of just like mindset mm. stuff, um, have you noticed patterns that yes. people are constantly like making mistakes on and that need to be corrected, that it's not just related to the food, but it's also this other piece? Yeah, definitely. I fully believe in the energy um, affecting the food when it was being prepared and also the energy affecting the food when you are actually eating it because your body um, is supposed to be in a parasympathetic state when you are eating. That's your rest and digest state as opposed to, you know, the sympathetic fight or flight or freeze or fawn, you know, like when we're supposed to be, we're constantly in that state, even when we're trying to like scarf something down on the go. So we're not eating mindfully, we're not getting ourselves into a relaxed state. And so we can see throughout the history of humanity, there are these rituals in place um, to prepare the food from a place of relaxation, to sit and maybe stop and pray um, or practice gratitude before you eat your meal, because that gets you into the right um, physical state. And we might, we could call that energy. We could give a scientific reason for it, but it is what it is. Um, one thing that I find with my clients is because they are approaching um, keto for weight loss, as well as um, fueling their body in the best way that they can, um, old mindsets and old um, maybe disordered eating thoughts and approaches can easily creep in. And so I find that women will try to restrict way too much even um, eating low carb. And if they are feeling, maybe they're, they're just not planning out their meals to give themselves enough food throughout the day. So then at night, you're finally entering your rest and digest state and you're winding down and you're watching your Netflix and you've already eaten all the foods that you mentally planned that you would eat that day. And so 
Now you want to eat more. And I call this like a scarcity mindset or a scarcity energy instead of an abundance mindset. And so instead of giving food to yourself, you are taking it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that's the energy of it. It's like, you're, you're taking it for yourself and you, you, you say to yourself, oh, I deserve this or whatever kind of reasoning you're giving to yourself. It's kind of like this little place of rebellion or resentment. And it has a totally different energy and a totally different feel to it. As opposed to if you had planned, you know, ahead of time, I know that I love to sit by myself at night and watch Netflix. And I'm going to plan to have a big bowl of strawberries while I do that. You could be eating the exact same food, but if you had the energy of giving it to yourself versus the energy of taking it for yourself, it's a completely different feel. And you wake up the next morning or even, you know, five minutes afterwards feeling completely differently about it. Yeah, no, I think that's a really like powerful um, mindset tool of like, you just got to sometimes be prepared. I, and I'm admittedly not super great at that. And I'm kind of like doing a bunch of travel right now, which makes it harder when you're not like grounded in like one place and able to do the planning. Um, but even so, I don't think I was ever taught to like view my like daily schedule that way and then pair my daily schedule with food that I was going to enjoy and like prepare to watch like the next like final season of Lucifer. Like that's probably like a really like great like strategy of, you know, that what you're going to do when you get home. Yeah. The evening. So you might as well like plan the food that you're going to sit there and watch your like Netflix um, instead of randomly like ordering something like last minute because you sat down and realized you would like to eat. Like, yeah. yeah, I think that's a really, um, a powerful tool. And I also think that during the pandemic, we probably uncovered, and you probably saw a lot in your clients, like issues with emotional eating. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I know that that was something I was not equipped to handle, like with my clients, like I could deal with like some of the anxiety, but then I started for the first time hearing, um, about, strange cravings or just weird eating habits and things like that. And that emotional eating is not my area of expertise. So can you talk a little bit about um, emotional eating, both personally and professionally? Yes, absolutely. So emotional eating is something that I've struggled with my whole life. And I, first of all, would like to just normalize it. Every single person emotionally eats. I don't care who you are, man or woman, <laughs> whatever. We we all emotionally eat from time to time, but I think it's just a spectrum of how maladaptive it is to your life. You know, so it could be on the extreme end of like actually having a diagnosable eating disorder, and it could be on the very low end of maybe you just do this. Uh, you eat ice cream when you break up with somebody, but other than that, you know, you, you don't find yourself really struggling with it. So, but the point is that everybody emotionally eats and it makes sense that we would, because, um, we're conditioned to pair nutrition with soothing from the time we come out of the womb, you know, literally mothers will breastfeed for soothing as well as for nutrition. So it makes perfect sense that those things have been linked in our mind. Um, also it works. It does actually make us feel better. We wouldn't at least temporarily, we wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't work. So um, one thing that's really powerful about emotional eating is because um, we need to be in a parasympathetic state in order to digest. It literally does switch our state from fight or flight over to rest and digest, maybe not fully, um, Mm -hmm. but it definitely does something. So there's something to be said for that. 
Um, another thing to be said for that is the chemical cascade that's happening in our brain. You know, we feel dop dopamine and that lights up the reward center of our brain and we very much feel good and we feel like we want to repeat that behavior. Our brain compels us to repeat that behavior. So it does actually help us to change our emotional state, at least temporarily. But then the whooshing comes back around of guilt, shame, um, physical bloating, whatever symptoms you might be feeling, which ends up making you feel worse. Yeah. So one thing that I like to ask my clients is every time they have a deviation from their plan. Um, and again, I like to use that word deviation. There can be planned deviations. There can be unplanned deviations, but I don't like to call them cheats because there's no morality to eating food or eating what you said you were going to eat or not eating, you know, or vice versa. It's not, it's morally neutral. Um, I also don't like to call them treats because that implies that the rest of the time you're not treating yourself well. So I like to just call them deviations. So I like to ask my clients, what was the thought that you were having right before you ate that thing? And one of the most popular things that comes up again and again is I was telling myself, don't do it, don't do it. But then there was this little voice inside of me that said, you deserve this. Like you have just self-abnegated all day long and it's time to do something for you, right? Um, and so that's what they do. And so I said, okay, well, you deserve what? You deserve punishment or you deserve reward because like, what, what did it actually do? Like, well, I deserve to feel good. Okay, you do deserve to feel good. You 100% deserve to feel good, but emotional eating doesn't actually feel good. It just feels familiar. Yeah. And it gets us back into that familiar pattern of when I feel this negative emotion, I self-soothe in this way. And it's good to self-soothe. We should self-soothe. Um, it's the part of us that is trying to take care of us and it's working. And that's why we keep doing it over and over again, but it's maladaptive to our goals. So that's the real issue with emotional eating. Um, I find, I, I like to give this, this metaphor. Imagine that every day um, you walk through the front door of your house and um, there's a nail sticking out in the threshold and you step on that nail every single day. And you're like, oh shoot, you know, I did it again. Let me go to the medicine cabinet, go get my band-aids and my disinfectant. And you do this day after day after day after day until finally you start to get so irritated with yourself that you are spending your whole paycheck on band-aids and disinfectant. And what you really want to do is save up for that vacation to Hawaii. And this is holding you back from your goals. And so you decide, I'm just not going to treat, treat this with band-aids and disinfectant anymore. I could just suck it up. I don't really need the band-aids. I don't really need the disinfectant. I'll be fine. Like, and it's like, no, <laughs> you're supposed to soothe yourself when you get hurt right? You're supposed to soothe a negative emotion. Um, what we really need to do is pull that nail out of the threshold. And so the nail represents either an unmet need in your life or maybe an unset boundary in your life. And that is a type of unmet need. So emotional eating is just a substitute for the real need that you have that from an empowered place, you can think about and actually try to uncover that and, and meet it for yourself. Um, the real form of self-care is designing a life that you don't feel like you need to numb out from every day. I think that's really just like a powerful statement. Um, it was interesting, like this week, I've been, I'm in New York, New York City, I haven't been here in a while. And so one of my big things that I love is pizza, right? So it's like you're in New York and pizza. But I've noticed that things have shifted for me. So like I might have a craving for pizza for lunch or this is like I wake up and I'm like, I think I like, I need to have pizza. But there's so many different options now for getting pizza that it's no longer I'm going to walk in and just like 
satisfy that craving with any old pizza. Like now we're going, like, I'm going to walk in and assess like your level of like what your broccoli looks like on the pizza and make decisions as to whether or not that's good enough to put in my body mm-hmm. rather than going to like the closest pizza place and saying, okay, well, I just want pizza. And so this is like all there is like, there is definitely, um, some mindset shifts. I really love the story about the nail because yeah, you, you need to get rid of the nail. And then eventually like you learn to be able to walk into places and have enough, I'd say self-control or like desire to treat yourself really well, that you're not going to settle for the crappy pizza, but you're going to go and find like the really amazing pizza that's going to make you happy. Like this one, like one time because you don't normally eat pizza. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all for having a conscious deviation from your normal protocol and fully enjoying it. But a lot of times I find that people are deviating either because they didn't, they weren't proactive enough to plan it out ahead of time, which that is self-care in and of itself. And another thing that I find is particularly um, women, we tend to self-abnegate and just eat whatever is convenient for everybody else to eat. And so if the partner is craving pizza or the kids are craving pizza or whatever, and you had planned to make something else that you could eat, and then you're just like, oh, well, whatever, I'll figure it out. And then you end up eating something um, that you really didn't want to eat just so that you wouldn't be a bother or an inconvenience to anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that a lot um, around my family. I have definitely, I have been guilty of doing that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not married and I don't have kids. So if I'm doing that as a single person, just going to visit home, then this happens a lot for women. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Well, I want to give you a little bit of room to kind of tell the audience how they can reach you and kind of what your current projects or offerings are right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I am um, a self-care keto coach and I work with women one-on-one in small groups. Um, and also I have a new project that I just came out with and it is called the self-care keto guided mindset journal. So for people who maybe don't feel quite ready to work with a coach yet, or maybe, um, it's a little bit too much of a time commitment or a financial commitment. I really wanted to design something that would be a way to get this, um, mindset shifts out to as many women as possible. So it's a guided journal where I include 10 of my most um, effective transformative mindset exercises that I have used with my clients over the years um, to really shift those beliefs surrounding food, weight, and body image. You'll learn more about your personality and your temperament to try to figure out how you can make um, a different way of eating fit into your life, um, leaning into who you are, not trying to change who you are, but trying to just align naturally with your strengths and your values and your personality. So if anybody's interested in that, they can find uh, that journal over at my website, theketofit.com slash journal. And uh, to learn more about coaching, I offer a totally free curiosity call and you can sign up for that on my website, theketofit.com. And I'm also on social media, pretty much everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, I'm at theketofit. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you. Um, And I also am very appreciative of you sharing that personal journey um, because I think that um, this is an issue that many women deal with and we're not comfortable talking about it. So thank you for being a role model um, in this space. And I really appreciate your time. 
Thank you. I appreciate you too, Dr. Jenny.